Well, I, I told the Sunday school class this morning that it's been a fight with technology the whole way through this morning. So last week, preaching about unplugging from technology is, is hitting home in a real way this morning. So uh, I don't know how your week went with that, but uh, we were talking about it last night just before we went to bed and a little bit again this morning, that uh, being really intentional about unplugging has made this past week feel more productive, and I physically feel better. At the end of a really long week, I feel physically better other than my voice. Uh, that tends to happen in loud gyms uh, and playoff atmosphere, football, basketball, whatever it is, coaches yell louder and we yell more. Uh, I'm sure athletes in the room can attest to that. You've dealt with coaches that yell louder in the playoffs, and we tend to yell a little more, uh, <clears throat> even more when the association decides to bless us with two referees instead of three. So when there's three, there's one always close by. You don't have to yell as much to get their attention. When there's two of them, you really do have to yell at them. And that's a free rabbit we're chasing this morning. But I, I really thought last week, I thought, man, that, that put a nice ribbon on that series on Resilient, teaching us to unplug and to go back to appreciating beauty and, and finding that, that recharge just in the creation that God has given us to enjoy. And, and God said, no. And I'm like, are you kidding? We're not done. And I feel like the, the salesman on the infomercial ad, but wait, there's more. And, and God keeps opening this up. And uh, the part five, and I really, I'm not going to say it too prematurely, but I feel this is the one that's going to wrap it up. And <clears throat> part five is something we've titled The Outpost of Eden, a love story in the middle of a war. And, and that's a big, long, wordy title, and it'll all make sense at the end. So, so you're going to have to stay with me. If, if you're one of those people that, well, this is not for me, and you go to sleep, that's okay. But <clears throat> it's still for you, and, and it, it's going to jump right in with Peter saying, be sober-minded, which is where I could throw Scott's picture of that guy back up there. Be sober-minded. If you miss Sunday school, you miss all these tie-ins, I'm telling you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That comes from 1 Peter 5.8. I forget we don't have it on the screen, so i got to do a better job of telling you where these references are rather than trusting you're reading them. And some of you may have to go really old school this morning if your technology is not working because you rely on the Wi-Fi and grab a Bible from the, the thing in front of you, or maybe you carry your own Bible. Uh, and, and I'm trying not to make these statements I used to make as a youth pastor but if you come to church without your own Bible, it's like coming to church naked. You, you just 
forgot the most important thing. None of us want to see you naked. None of us want to see you in church without your own Bible because your Bible's a very handy thing. I know it's old-fashioned. It's paper. And right there next to Scripture, you can write what God is speaking to you. So when you go back through and read it, that, that's the other thing. you got to read it on your own time. Oh, <laughs> foreign concepts. Um, you know, I know that's really mean, but it's really the truth because we have to, to fight kids to do things on their own time now because they want to be plugged into their phone or their video game system. You know, we used to go out and shoot shots in the driveway. Now, if you don't open the gym and give them a designated time, they don't come get extra shots up. Except for the three percenters. And Kate, I'm not talking to you. You're a three percenter, okay? <clears throat> but, and that's a whole other story. That's a rabbit we could chase too. But you have to take these notes and remind yourself. And this, the majority of this message is just a reminder. It's a reminder that we as Christians are caught in the middle of a war for men's souls. And when I say men's, that's a, that, that is mankind. The heart and soul of mankind. We're caught living a life that's in the middle of that war. And the, the problem is we spend far too much of our time screaming about how the war is over. It's already been won. And that's not the reality you live in every day. You live in the reality of in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you're going to face war. We know we've already won, but you still have to face it. You still have to go through the day-to-day. -day. And for too long, the, the Church of America has, has started beating the drum of its victory and everything is sunshines, unicorns, rainbows, cupcakes all the good food you're going to eat at the Super Bowl party, it's all that all the time. And that's not reality at all. We just spent time before prayer talking about people who are in the midst of a war in their physical body. People who are emotionally drawn into a war through the trauma that this life brings. And in the middle of all of that, in just living life, you have an enemy who is hunting you relentlessly. He's hunting you just like in the garden where he was subtle about, did God really say that? You're going to face that every single day of your life. The enemy is going to come to you and say, did God really say that? If God really said that, then why? Anybody else deal with that? Or is it just the pastor that deals with doubt sometimes? The pastor that struggles sometimes. I'm, I'm being real with you this morning. There were big chunks of this week that were an absolute struggle. The, the teacher's retirement system of Oklahoma decided to bless me the week after my birthday with reminding me how much longer I have to work to retire. It's not a light at the end of the tunnel at this point, folks. If it is, it's a very small light. <laughs> and, and then, as soon as I get that notice, I was telling Larry about this, I go through three of the longest days of my teaching career where the kids were bouncing off the wall, being absolute, I'll call them what they are because teenagers fit this role a lot, they were being morons. 
I was a moron as a teenager, I'll own it. So I can call them morons. They were absolutely awful for three days. And I thought, do I really wanna go through X number of years of this? Do I wanna put myself through that? And, and I mean, it'll, there, there's times when you hit, and I'm not saying I'm middle-aged, I'm not old enough to be middle-aged yet, because I'm gonna live a long time. I told my kids this at breakfast, this is a freebie for you. I have full intention of if Jesus doesn't come back before then, I have a full intention of spoiling my great-grandkids. My great-grandkids are going to know their great-grandpa and their great-grandpa is going to tell them about Jesus. That is my intention. If I don't get there, hopefully technology will hold up long enough that they can still see great-grandpa's face and hear his words tell them about Jesus. Because that's where I want to be. I want to stay in the fight long after I'm gone. Because there's an enemy who's not going to let up until Jesus comes back and says it's enough. That it's enough. Man, it keeps tying back to that. I'm telling you, if, if God unleashes me, we're going to go through Genesis in a way you've never gone through it before. Because he's been ringing my bell when I finally put the phone down and answered the bell of heaven. I mean, whew. Anyways, we've got to keep going. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're in a war. You're in a war. And, and there's been this war since long before any of us were even thought of. Long before we, we were a, a twinkle in somebody's eye. Even before God knit us together in our mother's womb, as Scripture says. God knew about you and he knew that you would be put into this world at war. And if you want to take it on a personal level, I want you to see this. Jesus was talking to Peter and, and he was telling Peter that you're going to struggle. Peter, you've lived with me all this time. You've sat under my teaching and guess what, dude? You're still going to struggle. Because he said, Simon, and that's Peter's given name. Simon, Simon. He uses his name twice. That becomes a big deal. We'll talk about that later this year, I promise. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, or when you have come back to yourself, when you've survived, is another way to phrase it. Strengthen your brothers. Now I could just keep going in the message right here, but let's, let's be real about what sifting of wheat looked like back then. You took big stalks of grain and you beat them. Anybody feel beat up? This world will beat you up if you give it a chance. It'll beat you up. And... And by beating it on the ground, it would spill out its contents, which was what the sifter of the wheat is looking for. What's in you? I'm going to get it out of you. 
What is in you? And I, let me tell you, what is in you, if you don't have Jesus Christ in you, it'll spill out pretty easy and it ain't pretty. There's times there's still stuff in you that even when you ask Jesus into your heart, spills out of you that you're not proud of. And it usually takes some kind of a beating to get it to spill out of you. And then when it does, you're going to get tossed around because the next phase of sifting and threshing that wheat is you take all that stuff that spilled out and you chunk it up in the air. Anybody feel tossed? <laughs> like you've been thrown around a little bit? Oh, oh, Xavier's like, this is getting personal. He's over here owning it. But I'm getting thrown around. God, if it's not one thing, it's another. I feel like I'm getting thrown around in this life. All these decisions I got to make about my life, all these decisions about my future, about my parents' future, about my kids' future, about retirement. I wasn't even thinking about retirement very often until that stupid thing came in the mail to remind me it's, it's so far off you ain't got to worry about it. But you're thrown around. And only the good stuff at the heart of you is going to remain. The devil wants to sift you just like Peter. I want you to understand, if you go back to one of the first books written down that's in our Old Testament, Job, the devil came and specifically asked for God to give him the opportunity to test Job. He was seeking who he could devour. And the reason he went after Job, Job wasn't a weak, easy target. The devil's arrogant son of a gun. And he wants to come get some. He's going to come after people who believe themselves to be strong. Or that other people think are strong. He'll pick off the weak ones along the way, but he really wants to go after the strong ones. And he'll ask for permission to come do that. And I want you to understand that God will always bet on you. That's one of the stories of Job that often gets overlooked. God had confidence in who He had made Job to be. God has confidence in who He made you to be. If you're the person who's struggling, who feels like they're getting beat up and just getting tossed around, I want you to understand in the middle of all that, God has confidence in you because He gave you everything you need to endure it. And we're going to get to that. We are living a love story in the middle of the war. In the middle of all of that, this has been going on since Job. Going on since Job. Going on since Adam and Eve, if you really want to be fair. Going on since all of those wonderful stories of the Old Testament. This story has been going on where the enemy of your soul, from the moment he was cast out of heaven, has been seeking whom he may devour. Trying to get them so consumed with the spirit of their flesh, the desires of their heart, making a name for themselves. These are all precursors to a series we're going to go through. It, making it about them to the point where they forget that they need, desperately need, the God who created them. And God looked in the middle of that war and said, I'm going to send a love story, and that love story is my son, Jesus Christ. All through history, God had been crying out to men that I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to know me personally. He'd been crying out from the beginning that that's what he wanted. And mankind continued to choose wrong. 
And in the middle of it all, he sends Jesus. But he, he let us see pictures along the way. I want you to get this this morning. It began in Eden. And then God showed us again in the tabernacle moving through the wilderness. And then God shows up again living in the temple. And then finally God created what we're going to call the outpost of Eden. And for those of you that don't know what an outpost is, it is a, a far-reaching boundary defense system in a time of war. It is both a place of sanctuary and a place of attack. That, that's hard for us to get our brain around because most of us have never spent a lot of time studying war and conflict. But an outpost is, is what you put out in the middle of the battle area as a place for your soldiers to have sanctuary, but it is also a launching point of attack. So now that we've unwrapped that, I want you to see these places. Eden, oh, I didn't put it in because my slides got... I didn't tell everybody that story. My slides just disappeared at the city limits. And it was bad. Okay, But Eden in Hebrew translates pleasure. So if you go back to Genesis and you read the account, God, it says that God planted a garden in Eden. He planted a garden in pleasure. And he took and he placed the man that he created in the midst of pleasure. It was God's pleasure to place man, the masterpiece of his creation, right in the middle of where he would find delight and pleasure. When I, when I came across that this week, my mind just exploded and I almost began to weep because... The, the New Testament finally reveals to us once again that the, what the Old Testament had screamed all along, that you are God's masterpiece. But more so than masterpiece of God, you were designed to bring pleasure to God. You were His delight. And He placed man in the middle of everything He'd created to represent His delight. And man messed it up. So the next time that God really emphatically comes to men, He comes in the way of the tabernacle. And, and He point blank tells Moses, Do not build me a permanent structure because we're not home. And when this all ties together, it's going to resonate really big this morning. He wanted His presence to be among His people as they traveled in lands that were not their home. Then when He got them to the land that He had given them, He called for them to build a temple where they could center their life around Him. I'm getting goosebumps. I don't know if anybody else is feeling this this morning, but it's good stuff. Because... He brought it all together when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave. He brought it all together because now we don't need a temple made by men to encounter God. He tore the veil showing that His presence was no longer bound to the temple. And just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, the temple would be destroyed. 
Jesus in John 17 was praying for us. He said, The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus was declaring in a prayer to his father that I understand the plan. I understand that this whole thing was designed so that they would know that you and I are one, but even more than that, that we desire to be one with them. That we desire to make our home in them. Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, verse, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In the Hebrew, that is the Ruach. The Holy Spirit of God, the breath of God Himself lives in you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This makes us an outpost of Eden. I'm not saying you're a walking, living garden. Because too many people will take that the wrong way and think I'm calling you all a bunch of potheads. Okay? You're the outpost of Eden. Your heart is the dwelling place of the God Most High. Your heart is where Jesus took up residence. And because He took up residence there, He took pleasure in being in you. He wants you to know Him, to spend time with Him, to, to detach from this world and to know Him. Not to wait till you get to heaven to know Him, but to know Him here so that when it feels like you're being tossed around, you realize, no, I'm not. I'm anchored because the Spirit of God dwells in me. So even though all this stuff is happening, it's not going to change who I am because there's nothing in this world that can take me out of His hand. There's nothing in this world that can take Him out of my heart. It's a sanctuary. It's a dwelling place. It's a place that, that no one else can go. No one can go into the depths of your heart except you and Jesus. That, that picture up there represents a verse in Revelation that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the artist nailed it because there's no doorknob on the outside. Jesus is not a door kicker. He's not going to kick in the door to your heart. He's waiting for you to open up your heart and invite Him in. And when you do, He says, I will come and make my dwelling with you. I'll make you the tabernacle because this world is not your home. I'll make you the temple because it is in your heart of hearts. It is out of your innermost being that I desire praise. That's the way the psalmist phrased it. I'm telling you, I wish I had all my notes here. <laughs> out of your innermost being is your praise.
And God delights in knowing you in your innermost being. That's who He created first. He wants to be the temple that you center your life around. Not that you center your life around anything else and then invite Him in. But that your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, you realize that God is at your center and everything in your life revolves around Him. But pastor, you keep calling it an outpost because it's not only a place of sanctuary, but it's also the point of attack. You're invited into not only the love story, the relationship with God and, and that deep personal knowledge of who He is, but you're invited to go invite other people, to go and to share the gospel, to go and to pray for the sick, thing that we don't say enough we like to talk about all the good things of God but we don't like to talk about the fact that we're called to be the conduit of those good things to go and to lay hands on the sick so they'll be healed you're called to do that not just pray from afar you're called to go and do it you're called to go to go to people and to tell them what Jesus did for you who Jesus is and what He wants to do in them. That's called the Great Commission. It's also the key to overcoming according to Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The spoken oration of what Jesus did in their life. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to share the gospel. You don't have to be a scholar to share the gospel. You have to be a Christian. You have to know your story and tell it. And that is where you go from the point of just being a sanctuary on the boundary of the battlefield to being the point of attack and building the kingdom. This is a perfect Super Bowl message because it's a pep talk. It's not a downer. I'm not up here telling you you're doing a terrible job. I'm telling you it's time to get a little bit of fire going and go get after it. Because what then shall we say to these things? That's the question that God is asking us through Romans. What are you going to say to all the things you've heard this morning? All the things you've heard about how God is desiring to build within you resiliency in a world that's utterly out there to kick your butt. What, what are you going to do with those things? I'll tell you, the response that Paul gives to his own question, I love that he answers them. Paul doesn't ask questions and leave them hang. Paul's a rhetorical dude. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer a question with a question. That makes me feel more resilient than anything. God, I know God is for me. There's no if. That if can be translated to because. Because God is for me, nothing can be against me. It can try. But Jesus told Peter, he said to him, you know, this, you know, the fact that you understand this, that it came from God, is the foundation on which I'll build my church. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. When you know him, it point blank says in the Bible that the word, the word, says this to us. It says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. 
the gates of hell, the mightiest, strongest part of the enemy's army will not overcome you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that's not prosperity gospel. But can God give you victory in the middle of the hard times? Absolutely. Can God be who God is? Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Yes, he will meet your needs. He's not necessarily going to give you the Lamborghini. He's not necessarily going to give your team victory in the Super Bowl today. I don't have a team in the Super Bowl today. I'm ready to watch two Christian quarterbacks duel it out and cheer for the defenses and yell at the officials. That's my plan. My, my wife's plan is watch the commercials. The great commercials ended in the 90s. That's all I got. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? I'll tell you, the only person that's going to bring condemnation against you is the voice that you should not be listening to. Paul was very clear about condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he references very clearly the enemy who comes to accuse the brethren. And I'll just tell you, your fleshly nature partners with him in condemning and, and accusing you. You're in a war. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and is, right, is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There, this is where the pregame speech gets going. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When you know Jesus, you're experiencing the greatest love story in the middle of of the greatest war that's ever been waged. And when you know Him and you know that He loves you, you have the resiliency to go out there day after day and to fight the good fight of faith until He says, your outpost is done. Join me in Eden. Heavenly Father, thank You for today.